Hello and welcome to the September instalment of the Shameless Book Club. This month we read the debut novel from author Charmaine Wilkerson called Black Cake. Black Cake is a novel that spans 60 years in the life of one Caribbean American family. Byron and Benny's mum, Eleanor Bennett, has died. She has left them with a voice recording in which everything Byron and Benny ever knew about their family is upended. I am joined today by one, not two <laughs> just co-hosts, one. just one. It's the wonderful Zara McDonald. Oh, Annabelle is, of course, on leave. Of course she is. I will try to bring my best energy for two people. Well, I love book club because I feel like we can take a more relaxed energy. I'm, I'm sitting right back. Yeah, I'm we're chilling sitting out. back. We've got some coffees here. We're ready to talk about this book. Where do you want to begin? We always begin with background on the author. Yeah, let's start there because I think when it comes to Charmaine Wilkerson, a lot of her background is very much infused in this book. Mm. And I think if you read the author's note as well, at the very end of the book, you kind of learn a lot of the research that she did for this book, but also how her own personal experience impacted on her writing. So Charmaine is a Caribbean-American writer who has actually lived in Jamaica and is based in Italy, Mm. which makes a lot of sense in the context of this novel. It really, it really does. Black Cake is Charmaine's first novel. She's actually a graduate of Barnard College and Stanford University, and she's a former news and communication professional. She's also won awards for her short fiction before too. So she's kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to writing, the media. Comms. Comms. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now, Black Cake is actually already a New York Times bestseller, which is so impressive for a debut novel. And a screen series based on the novel is currently under development for Hulu. Yeah, this was really interesting to go back and research. There was a bidding war for the rights to Black Cake before it was published. So back in 2021, Oprah Winfrey's Harpo Films won the bidding war in conjunction with Hulu. They're also working with showrunner Marissa Jo Sarah, who was also one of the women who brought The Handmaid's Tale to life. So I feel like there's a lot of really high-powered, intelligent people working on this. Yeah, who clearly saw a bucket load of potential in this Mm. novel before the rest of the world were even able to buy it and knew that there was commercial appeal as well. I always just want to know how this happens, though, like how a book is sold before it's even out in the public and before they even know there's, you know, a proper appetite for it. Publishing houses just must pick like one or two books to be like, this is the book book you need to buy. 100%. And imagine being the author with your debut novel like Charmaine was. To not only have a big production house willing to make it and wanting to make it into a TV show, but to have a bidding war. Yeah. That's the best. That's like the golden ideal I of what know. you'd want. I totally agree. Now, Charmaine Wilkerson actually told Parade Magazine, my parents were Caribbean American and my mother made a legendary Caribbean fruitcake or black cake. A few years before I wrote this novel, a younger member of my family asked me for my mother's black cake recipe and I was surprised that he would think to ask. This started me musing about what we choose to hold close to our hearts and how we inherit our identities through food or other cultural markers. Yeah, when asked what black cake represented to her, she responded, it is a symbol of celebration, Caribbean tradition and family. It's also the kind of togetherness and storytelling that can emerge when people prepare food together. In black cake, the handling of food counts as much as the eating of it. Yeah, she's also said that for her, black cake is, and I quote, a symbol of so many things, cultural inheritance, sisterhood, family, bonds. I mean, I know we're going to get into the book in a second, but I do feel like this was a strength of the book for me is how food was explored through the pages, both through Benny, through Marble later. Like there was a really interesting and beautiful thread about food 
that clearly is very close to Charmaine's heart. Yeah, I completely agree. I also really enjoyed a Goodreads interview with Charmaine where she admitted that for a decent chunk of the writing process when it came to this novel, she didn't know where the plot was going to go herself. How do people do this? I really love this. I know we've said it on Book Club before, but I just love people with the kind of creative minds who let the creativity take over their body, really. Like take over their mind as they're creating the work. This is how the quote reads. What I do remember is, at a certain point, the story took on a life of its own. And then I saw the whole story. I knew there was a murder. That's not a secret. It's not a murder mystery, but there is a murder and there is a mystery. (laughs) But I didn't know who had committed the murder right away. And all of a sudden, one day I thought, now I know who did it. Just as if I'd been watching the movie. I just find that... Uh, so impressive because I don't think I'd be able to do that. I think if I was to ever write a novel, I think I would need to know what happens from the start to like the end. reverse engineer. You know what the major plot points are, and then go right. How am I going to breadcrumb people? To I that? just don't know if I have that genius level of creativity where the you know the whole thing can take over my body. That's okay. You're pretty good at podcasts. Yeah. You stick to what you're doing. <laughs> Maybe I'll just stick to what I know best. I guess Mish, that is Charmaine, right? And that's background on the book. Let's talk about the characters because mm. there were quite a few characters in this book and quite a few to get through. Well, it was funny because. As I read it, I did think, oh my God, so many characters. But then when I went back to kind of prep for this episode, it's not that there are a heap of characters. It's that multiple characters are referred to by two different names, which feels like the characters double. I also feel like because Covey and Gibbs, you know, had a full change of identity, Mm. there was a change in personality and there was a change in character. So I think that in and of itself is a challenge for the reader, I think, to appreciate that Covey and Eleanor Bennett, yes, we're told are the same person, but they they feel very different on the page. They really, really do. Now, as far as my favourite characters in this book is concerned, Covey, Bunny and Gibbs have to be my faves. Covey in particular, I think. I genuinely could have read 370 pages about them alone. I really felt like that part of the novel that took us back to the 1960s was the heart of the novel. It was the strength of the novel. I felt like I could see the Caribbean so vividly. I feel like I really genuinely cared about what happened to the trio. I loved the inclusion of the storyline that Covey was in love with Gibbs and Bunny was in love with Covey at a time when that same-sex love would never have been societally accepted. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in total agreement with you. This was the beauty of the novel for me back you know, when it was set, when Covey was young. And I was so invested in all the characters. I was so invested in Covey. I was devastated when, you know, she was forced to marry little man. I felt terror when he was in her house. Yeah, when he was coming through the back door. Yeah, like I felt all of that so vividly. Pearl was my hero. She was amazing. I loved her. her so much. And I could see these characters so incredibly Clearly, I could see where they were. I could see the scenes in my mind. And I think for me, once we left that island together, (laughs) you know, on the journey of reading this book, I really lost the ability to see these scenes in my mind and see these characters. I couldn't really see anyone after that. And I kept forgetting that the book in present day was set in California. Like I just kept forgetting that and I don't think I ever really pictured California at all. No, you're so right. It was only when the Californian surf was mentioned that I was reminded that, oh, the Californian fires or kind of environmental factors like that, that I remembered, but it felt more clinical, far more clinical, that part of the book than the earlier pages. Like 
I really did feel like I was in the 1960s and I was wondering where Covey's mother, Matilda, was. And I was obsessed with Pearl and I felt so conflicted about Lynn with his gambling problems, his failings as a father, his decision to, like, essentially, let's be real, sell his daughter to the local villain. Yeah, mobster almost. Mobster, yeah. yeah. I believed all that. I could see all that. But I agree with you. As soon as we moved, I feel like the the pages in London were okay. Like, I feel like I could see that. But as soon as we got further and further down the storyline, as soon as Covey became Eleanor, I just felt lost. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's interesting because it wasn't just Covey and Gibbs that kind of, you know, grew up into different characters. So did Bunny. Mm. You know, Buddy, Bunny became Etta. And I think that was kind of a, a beautiful narrative device in many ways that – these people are sort of growing up and out of the characters we knew them to be in the 60s. But I preferred Bunny to Etta again. Mm. And I thought there were parts of me with some of these characters where I felt like the evolution of their narrative and their character arc just felt a bit too convenient. Too neat. That Etta became this world famous, you know, swimmer that Eleanor could track and I was like, as beautiful as that is and, and as, you know, poetic as that is, the realist in me was like, if this happened in real life, Eleanor Bennett is going along for the rest of her life never knowing where Bunny is and likewise. I agree. They're just losing each other. I know we have a whole section of the episode dedicated to yeah. strengths and weaknesses, but truthfully, to kind of spoil it for everyone, that is my main weakness. I didn't believe so much of the book. Like yeah. I really struggled. I had question marks in my head to go – would that actually happen? And in my heart, I felt, no, it yeah. wouldn't happen. It felt a little bit like a telenovela. Yeah, totally. And I think when it came to the characters, I think it all started there for me because I don't think that they were developed enough. You know, when we talk about novels and we talk about it being like a really character-driven book, mm, those are my favourite where it's not a lot happens in the book, not many events happen, but the characters are so beautifully fleshed out, you just want to kind of be with them. Yeah. Whereas in this book it felt like the total opposite, that it was very much an events-based book, a detail-based book, and I just don't think I gravitate to those kinds of books. I mean, when it comes to Byron, Byron was a character I really struggled to picture. I could kind of see him as the protective older brother. I could see him as the family guy. But when I was told by the book that he was also this like, you know, world famous science guy oh. with a big following on Instagram. I was like, oh, I can't see that part of him. I completely agree with you. I, I, I think Byron was probably the character I had the most difficulty visualizing, warming to, understanding. Like, he was in his forties as well. They mention his age towards the end of the book. Was he in his forties? Forties. Unless I've read that wrong, please come to me if I read that incorrectly. My reading of this was he's in his forties. Which adds up because their other child that we come to know, Marvel, is in her 50s. So it makes sense that there's that yeah, 10 no, years. Yeah, no, that does add up. He didn't come across – he came across like a 25-year-old, maybe younger. Like the maturity yeah. level of this man was not a man in his 40s. I also – maybe this is an Australian media difference. I could not find a reference point in my head – for this like super famous and public environmental scientist that is known on social media and that is always on the television. Like truthfully, I don't know if we have that in Australia. Or maybe that's maybe they do in the US. I wouldn't be surprised if they do in the US. I agree with you. I wouldn't be surprised if their cultural landscape or their media landscape looks a little different to ours. Ours is just far more like narrow. Oh yeah, we don't have an environmental scientist that Who I know I know. could name. No. Uh, we have like we had COVID scientists and like lockdown, like yes. Norman Swan. 
Yeah. He's the only scientist I could name. Really? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely agree with you. I think in terms of Benny's character, I actually quite liked Benny. And in terms of the character set in the present day, Mm -hmm. I could probably see her the most out of everyone. And I really deeply felt that the generational divide between her and her parents was so obvious and clear. I could feel it from both sides. Like I could feel very deeply within me why she was angry and why her parents were hurt. Like I could see and feel that and I thought that was beautifully done. You and I have agreed on everything I know, so far. I, that was I, another point I had down. I found it very impressive how Charmaine Wilkerson could write about a a generational divide, particularly when it came to sexuality. I felt like going into the book I would struggle to understand her father's maybe rejection of her sexuality or struggle with any sexuality but I think the way that Charmaine laid it out opened up the reader to two very disparate views but views that you could understand yeah. you could understand of course why I while I agree that everyone's sexuality should be welcomed with open arms I could understand why Benny's father felt the way he did or reacted the way he did. Yes, because it might not have been deep intrinsic to him, but why he had that instinct to react in the way that he did. For sure, I thought that was so impressive because I agree with you. When I started reading this book, I, I wondered to myself, I don't quite know why they went so long without talking based on basically one interaction. Mm. Like that doesn't sound like something that would happen. Mm. But as it was laid out, I thought, no, I can totally appreciate the deep history here of what Benny's parents had to go through. Like that deep history was told so well and with such empathy that I was like, oh my God, this this would happen. And the way that both parties felt wronged and the parents felt like Benny was so ungrateful for what they had done for her. I just loved that part of the novel. It was such a strength. I also loved that Bert or Gibbs would go to New York City and watch watch Benny. I loved that part. I'm sorry to bring in another thing I didn't quite warm to. I thought it would have been more powerful if Benny never knew that her father went and visited her in New York. Like that would have been something great for the reader to know not so good for Benny though but yeah not so good for <laughs> Benny but it was I think every little plot point having a very neat perfect bow wrapped around it was a failing of this book yeah absolutely and I think on that I think the inclusion of Marble was very oh. interesting and I, I don't think she needed to be there like I thought the, the story of the baby um you know essentially being stolen from mm. Eleanor mm. or Covey at the time was incredibly important. Like it was a really strong part of the book. I just don't know if I needed Marble in her 50s. I couldn't see her. I think she came too late. I I think I got more detail than I needed from her story. Mm. I think she probably just could have popped up at the end and had some cake with her siblings and I would have been fine with it. Like I didn't mind the neat bow of them all coming together. Yeah. I thought it was quite sweet. But the inclusion of the many varied life stories from characters took away from the stories and the relationships that I cared most about yeah yeah I think given Eleanor and Bert were essentially two characters there needed to be the stories of less characters maybe you're right maybe there weren't too many characters but maybe there was too much detail about all these characters there should have been fewer or maybe like uh, uh, I don't know 75 to 100 pages less, less. than what well, we got I think the conversation that we were having when we picked this book is it's so interesting given how long we've been doing book club for now and it's like well over two years 
the the novels that we pick actually generally fall around a similar page mm. limit and for workload reasons which sounds really silly <laughs> we kind of try to keep it around that sort of 300 page mark so mm. it's not like too huge for us to consume outside of our work hours this was a bit longer yeah and I made note of that when I started and I thought to myself as I was in the book this probably could have been a similar length to a lot of the other books that we read and I think it would have been stronger if yeah. it had been 280 to 310 pages around that mark Zara we have so much to talk about still we're going to talk about our strengths and weaknesses we're going to talk about that ending and of course give our ratings but first a word from today's sponsor all right zara i teased it out before the break i want to hear your main strengths and weaknesses well i'm going to start with the strengths because i think the washington post a review of this book published in the washington post summed up what was probably one of the biggest strengths for me this is what the piece said Wilkerson's intent is clear. We are left to think about the things we inherit from our ancestors. Physical traits, mental and emotional strife, even cultural attachments, like a beloved recipe that has the power to bring us home, if only in our minds. Mm. I thought she did this wonderfully. I think it was a real strength of her writing. I also think one great strength of the themes of this book is how much it made me think about how important it is for all of us to understand our parents and our grandparents and, you know, as I mentioned before, that dynamic between Benny and her parents. I just, it made me think a lot, even though I come from a completely different, you know, cultural background and things like that. I think for all of us, it makes you think a lot about, you know, what your parents and your grandparents go through and the generations above you. Agree. And what those recipes have represented to those people across generations. Like I was the same. I think... The family ties to black cake were gorgeous. I could not be more adoring of that part of this book. Like it was so, so strong. And it made me want to get my mum's copy. My mum has like a recipe book at home, which is all handwritten recipes. And a lot of them are from my nana. Yeah. And it made me think that is a really important thing for me to do to make sure I get those recipes and that I also have that like I don't want that to end and I think if I hadn't read this book that wouldn't be front of mind for me even though the cultural differences are there yeah for sure there was a passage on page 280 that I actually want to read for you because I think it was my favorite part of the book by far it was my favorite passage of the book I almost think it nearly could have ended on here but the book went on for another 100 pages this is from the recording from Eleanor Bennett to Benny specifically Benny, this is what I wanted to say to you in person, only I can't afford to wait anymore. When your father and I hesitated to embrace you as you were, to show you immediate acceptance, you ran. Of course, I wish that you'd been more patient with us, but you were hurt and you were willing to walk away in order to protect yourself. I was deeply disappointed, but over time, I realized that I could identify with what you'd done. I hope that you won't be afraid to make the same kind of choice again if you feel that this is what you need to do to survive. Question yourself, yes, but don't doubt yourself. There's a difference. Just don't go thinking that this is all there is to succeeding in life, just picking up and walking away from people. It should never be an easy answer to your troubles. I have lived long enough to see that my life has been determined not only by the meanness of others, but also by the kindness of others and their willingness to listen. And this is where your father and I failed you. You didn't find enough reassurance of that in our own home to dare to stick around. Mm. And I was like, that is just so beautiful. Like the level of empathy that it takes for a mother to understand why her child has, has you know. Abandoned the family. For so long yeah. without a phone call mm. even. Like that level of empathy I thought was incredible to kind of draw on her own experience to say, you know what, in many ways I've done similar things and I can understand it. 
I thought the book could have ended there. Yeah, almost. I agree. I think that is a very salient point and one that I absolutely align with. Tell me about a weakness. What was the weakness that stood out for you? The thing about this book is in so many parts, I feel like I wanted to give it five stars. Yes, I was like in the middle of this book being like, this is a five-star book for me. And then it just started to feel like a slog. I read this interview where Charmaine said this about writing the book, right? When writing scenes of great drama or violence, I sometimes skip what others might consider to be obligatory details. I've written passages that were quite spare and even cryptic. I believe that a scene can carry sufficient information and emotional weight for the reader, even without all the particulars omission has presence too. I mean, I liked this with elements of Benny's story. I think there were definitely passages of omission where we didn't get the details of Steve. We didn't get many of the details with college. Mm. But for a lot of the others, I thought we got actually too much unnecessary detail. I agree. I think this was a book for me where I personally needed less. I needed less detail, less obviousness. I mean, for example, I just didn't believe that you'd see someone on TV and be like, that's my long lost 50-year-old daughter. Sarah, this, I audibly groaned yeah the first time this was mentioned and then every time it was mentioned (laughs) after that I because it was it was like quite repetitive in that like you know Marvel would get out of the car and they'd be like oh my god that's her daughter I maybe we are unique in this way because we need to say the reviews on Goodreads are glowing for Black Cake and of course we loved certain elements of the book too I was shocked that more reviews did not mention this as a plot hole because for me this is a massive plot hole I do not see faces that way. I do not think in any world at any time across my life I could look at a face on a television of a woman living in Italy and instantaneously jump to the conclusion that that woman, number one, looks like me, but also looks enough like me to the point where I am convinced, convinced I'm looking at the face of my child. And the the mention of this across the novel of people instantaneously realising just by glancing at a character's face that they were looking at their long-lost friend's 40-year-old child was baffling to me. Like, how can you look at someone's face and see a slanted mouth that is so distinguished, you know that they are the offspring of your childhood friend? <laughs> you can't, you can't, you I can't. Know, I'm I, sorry. I agree with you. And I would love people to come and chat to us on Instagram when we post our review for this because like, is it just us? Because that for me, I was like, oh no, there's absolutely no way. Like do do what, you know, Lynn did, Johnny Lincock and hire a private investigator if that's how you're going to find her. That's more believable to me. I think for me, the other thing that was really interesting is the timelines felt kind of bizarre. Like I appreciate a book that doesn't try to make it easy for you. That is like, I'll try and jump back and forth. But at one point, like, especially because some of these, I don't know if I want to call them chapters, but the chapters were so short, like Mm. half a page, Mm. that the stuff that they jumped between was so odd. For example, on page 304, there are two pages side by side that tell totally different stories at totally different points. On 304, Wanda and Ronald hear Marble arrive at their home And it's that scene where she tells them that she knows she was adopted. And as an aside, this also kind of frustrated me (laughs) on this page. Wanda pulls open the front door, her chest swelling with the feeling that the arrival of her daughter always brings. But when she sees Marble's face, everything falls inward. She knows instantly why her daughter is here. Sometimes I'm like, but you don't always know. You know, it's, it's, it's very neat to be like, 
She just knew. And and maybe maybe she's been waiting for that her whole life. But she mm. could be devastated about something else. She could have been broken up with. Yeah. Could have been sacked. Geo could have been injured. Like, yeah. you just never yes. know. Yeah. Anyway, so you've got that scene on 304. Then the next page, in the next paragraph, you've got Benny waiting for Marble to arrive. Like, weeks later. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't really understand how this works. Like, I, I guess because the chapters weren't that long. I didn't have long enough to get into the scene. Mm. And then... Before I know it, I'm jumping to a different timeline. I think, yeah, I think for me, the main hole in this book being the unbelievableness, that's not a word, sorry, forgive me everyone, of it just arose in so many different areas. I know I'm going right back to the start of the book even to give this point, but I didn't even believe that when Benny and Byron were sitting down to hear their mother's their mother's parting message to them, the final audio message she recorded and the message that is bringing the family together and revealing fucking wild truth. Like we're talking about a murder. We're talking about changing identities. We're talking about a a missing sibling that they didn't know existed. I cannot believe on any level that they were pausing that recording (laughs) and like taking whole days just to be like, "Hmm, wonder what else she said. No way. Are you kidding me? My mum could say, I don't know, she could record seven hours of the most just like mundane, wholesome, whatever after she passed away. I would be listening to that. Straight away, without breaks. start to end without breaks. Am I crazy? No, or am- I'm not. But we also are spectacularly nosy people oh, who massively. need to know things straight away and I have no patience in my life. So I need to be self-aware about that. I'm the least patient person I know. Come talk to us on Instagram about that. Could you, or are you the kind of person who could get your mother's parting message beyond <laughs> the grave to you where you reveal some of the craziest plot lines in human history and pause it and go about your life and then come back to it the next day or the next day after that. Like, I know it's a small thing, but I didn't get that. I also didn't get the small plot line about the comb and the medallions. Yeah. So uh, what are the chances that Marble gets handed a box of trinkets from her late mother, who she never met, and it's a comb and a few coins? And Marble instantly happens to have the knowledge, the very, very, very niche knowledge in her brain that these exact trinkets are of huge, are of like niche historical value because they came from an ancient shipwreck because she happened to study art history once upon a time. Like that is such a leap. (laughs) I don't think we needed it. Uh, Not at all. Like I don't think we needed these I personally reading it didn't need that for sure. That should be left out of the TV adaptation. I also t- didn't like when Benny was in that bloody meerkat costume. Oh my God. And we'll sort of like, <laughs> we found out she was open to love again. I was like, what? Why are we here? Why am I here? That reminded me of that, like a scene in Sex and the City where Miranda is dressed up as like, I don't know, she finds a guy dressed as a sandwich. But I'm like, that doesn't happen. I just don't believe that happens in real yeah. life that you're asked on a date while you're dressed as a meerkat and he can't even see you. Or, I, I mean, I believe that, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> even still, as like, even if that did happen, I don't believe that's the scene we needed to believe that she was open no. to like moving on with her life. I think it was kind of implicit in the story that she was, you know, mending bonds, mending yeah. parts of her heart. Like, I think that was, and I kind of wanted to be trusted with that. Mm. Like, when I think about the ending, I really wanted as a reader to be trusted to believe that these things would happen without being told. That yeah. it's like, just trust me. I, I, I've i got it. Like, I believe that 
Benny is in a different headspace. I've seen the growth. I yeah, believe the growth. Byron's grown mm. and I believe that he will eventually try and work it out with Lynette. I kind of believe that Edda would find a way to contact Byron and Benny and that they would have a relationship. Like I knew that. And even even if Edda didn't, that's okay. Yes, because like, they're all they're all like flourishing. Does yeah. Does everyone need to be reconnected and have like this big ceremonious love-filled reunion I, I, I don't Johnny know Johnny Lincoln do. did not need to come back Johnny didn't have to come back at all like uh, I feel so strongly about the things I love in this book and I feel so strongly about the things I just didn't warm to because they just flummoxed me to be honest and then in what world sorry another brief flaw before we get to the ending in what world is Byron having a flashback of a 30-year-old memory from when he was 17 years old and remembering that he thought his dad mispronounced a word in what world is he thinking back to 30 years ago oh, when he goes, oh, no, my dad must have said. No, that actually, sorry, this is maybe the one place we disagree. That made sense to me because if it was a family inside joke for a long time, which it sounded like it was, that he would never use the word lovey and everyone's like, that was weird. Because I, I can imagine taking the piece out of my dad for a joke or something and then being like, fuck, that inside joke is layered. Mm, okay, can, disagree. You, yeah, that's so fair. <laughs> we haven't disagreed on much on this book. Let's talk about the ending. How did you feel? Well, as I just mentioned, like, I, I just didn't need it all to be tied up, to be honest. No. I, I didn't really want Johnny Lincock to come back into the story. I didn't think he deserved to come back. I thought it would be more powerful to leave him in the past where he belonged. If he had died a lonely man who had destroyed every relationship that came into his life. Yeah, he just... Which ran- he deserved. He randomly ended up rich. <laughs> the only thing I needed and the only thing I thought was really wonderful at the end was the flashback to the wedding and the hint towards who killed little man. And I probably needed an update about Pearl and Matilda. That's all my ending needed to be. And we definitely got all of that. Yep. I just, there was a lot else that we got as well. I actually, I agree with almost all of you. I don't think we needed an update on Matilda. No, I, I'm kind of on the fence about that yeah. one. I just don't, I don't think I would have thought about it. I think I got enough of the sense that she really wanted to contact Covey and that she loved Covey and that she wouldn't have abandoned her unless something had happened. Yeah, I agree. I think we could have been left though, again, we could have been trusted to connect the dots that X number of women from the Caribbean go missing every year. And we never, like, no one ever heard from Matilda again. Yeah. So, like, we could have connected those dots to see those two facts alongside each yeah, other. Yeah, I think you're right. I just, I liked the flashback to the wedding. Oh, I, I loved that. I needed to know who killed Little Man. That was, again, a massive 10 out of 10 moment for the book. But the problem was I felt like the moments and the passages and the chapters were, were either 10 out of 10 or like a two out of 10 for me. Yeah, and I thought it was written really beautifully because I did think she, in some scenes, she did say less. Like she didn't, mm. she wasn't explicit saying, Bunny did it. And then Bunny. <laughs> Bunny poisoned, poisoned the champagne glass. Like they, she didn't say that and I didn't need that. I mm. think I needed more of that sprinkling over the book. But I, I loved that it was Bunny. I could see a 17-year-old kid I agree. do that. She was a badass. Yeah, and like I could see her really wanting to save her friend out of that awful awful horrendous scenario agree it was a really 
perfect ending, that element of the ending anyway. I didn't think that Pearl would be able to do it. I didn't think Pearl would do it. No. So I, I enjoyed that. I guess in my head I was still like, where, who, how the hell would Bunny get her hand on that poison? That's, and be like, that's what it. an opportune moment for me. I'm going to drop this into a champagne glass. And is it like a labelled poison? Like how do you know that it's going to kill someone? I think that for me as well. I was just like, <laughs> oh, fuck. It would have made more sense if Bunny uh, just found her own poison plant. Yeah. Like couldn't Bunny have had her own knowledge around that? Because it, but like, actually, sorry. Now that you raised this, maybe the bunny thing doesn't make as much sense to me anymore. The book kind of laid out that Bunny knew she had to do something about Little Man the night that Covey came to her bedroom window yes. and confessed that she was going to be married to Little Man and she was desperate to get out. And the the book was written like Bunny knew she had to act. So what? She knew she had to act, but didn't have a like an inkling of what she might do until she happened upon a bottle labeled poison. But then the only thing I would think is perhaps that Pearl and Bunny had an interaction. Remember when Bunny looked at the cake and was like, but it's purple, it's Kobe's least favourite colour. And Pearl yeah. goes, that's exactly the point. And that's the same scene where Pearl was talking about needing to do something. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's Charmaine saying, I didn't have to say everything. But Pearl was was worried about who had the poison and she was worried like, she was like, at least it's labelled correctly. No one's going to accidentally. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I have questions. Anyway, all right. We've got to get to our ratings because we're running out of time. Yeah. Give me a rating out of five. It's, it's a, a hard it's one. It's a really, really hard one. As I said, it was patches of like complete brilliance and patches of frustration for me. I think to be fair, I have to land on a three. Yeah. I think I, I, as with every month, I measure a great book as the books that I fly through without checking page numbers. I check page numbers a lot. That said, I will remember this book for a long time and I can't say that for other book club reads. I totally agree with you. I think there are certain messages, certain themes, uh, the level of history that's involved in this book, like the significance of all of that is is like sticking in my brain. Mm. So there's there, you've got to give it points for that. But I agree with you. I had to give myself phone breaks while I was writing this book. Mm-hmm. I had to like reward myself. Incentivize reading. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I would give it a three as well. So gosh, that's got to be one of the books we've agreed on the most recently. I know. Look at us go. I know. We don't have a third person <laughs> to temper us to work out whether we're, we're right or uh, I, wrong. I wonder if Annabelle would have, I reckon this would have been almost a five out of five Do for Annabelle. I don't know because the reason, when we don't believe things, Annabelle's the gorgeous voice on this podcast going, I love that yeah, one. <laughs> I'm interested. Maybe we'll try to get her to read it before the end of the year and see what she says. <laughs> Extra homework, Annabelle. Yeah, exactly. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Shameless Book Club. If you have a review of your own of this book that you'd like to share, please come and tell us about it on our Instagram page at the Shameless Book Club. Yeah, as for next month, we will be reading Seeing Other People by Aussie author Diana Reed. This book is actually hitting shelves on October 5. So we know we're taking five days out of your schedule to go and get it next month but make sure you get to your local bookstore and dive right in because I'm most excited about this book more than almost any other book we've done on the show I have actually read this one that's why I really wanted I know I cheated no but I really wanted to do this one I mean we've got a local author and try to shop as you say shop in your local bookstores to get it as well just support local support local here's a passage from the blurb so you know what it's about Seeing Other People is the darkly funny story of two very different sisters and the summer that stretches their relationship almost to breaking point. 
Eleanor has just broken up with her boyfriend. Charlie's career as an actress is starting up again. They're finally ready to pursue their dreams, relationship, career, family. If only they can work out what it is they really want. When principles and desires clash, Eleanor and Charlie are forced to ask, where is the line between self-love and selfishness? Cannot wait to dive right into that one. And of course, have Annabelle back in the co-host chair for that one in October's instalment of the Shameless Book Club. Until then, guys, we'll be in your ears on Monday for Scandal. Bye. Bye. media this podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land always was always will be aboriginal land